each year on Memorial Day, we do try to do some things that I think are very special. Um, first thing I want to do is simply this. I, I want to encourage you, if you've not looked at the worship folder, to simply look at the front cover and realize that you're a part of a very blessed people who live in a very blessed nation. And we are blessed because God has blessed us and there are those who have been willing to pay a price to maintain that blessing for us. And I want to take just, just a moment, if I can, because I look across this room and I know some of you, some of you I do not know uh, what your situation is, but I'm going to ask you, if, if you are a veteran or an active duty service person, if you have served in our armed forces at any branch, would you just stand to your feet for a moment and allow us to see you? Thank you. Thank you for the sacrifices that you made and for the price that you paid for the freedom that we have. Uh, please understand, I do not take lightly what I get to do every week. But I also know that I have the freedom to stand here and to preach the Word of God without fear of reprisal because of the sacrifices that many have made. That's not true everywhere in the world. And so we do want to honor you and let you know the great respect that we have for you who have paid that price. And I want to just take a moment, if we can, to this morning. And I just want us to stop and pray. And thank God for his blessing, but ask for his continued blessing. Also thanking him for those who've served, but also asking his protection upon those who are serving right now. Because we have men and women right now around the globe who are standing in harm's way. So that we can sit here in comfort and worship this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we are truly a blessed people, and we know that every blessing and every gift comes down from you. You're the giver of life. You're the giver of freedom. And today, as we reflect upon that and remember, we ask you to make this time, this day, this weekend, a time of special blessing for those who have sacrificed much, and perhaps are suffering today because of the service they rendered years ago. Father, I thank you that there have been men and women in each generation who have understood the need, sensed the calling, and answered it. And Father, today I pray for those who are serving even in this moment knowing that around the world every situation is different, every locale is unique, that every man and woman is someone's son or daughter, husband or wife, mom or dad. And today they stand in defense of our freedoms, and we thank you for them and ask you to watch over them and their families to provide and protect And Father, I pray above all else that you would not allow us to take for granted that which you've given to us. And that we would thank you regularly for the freedom you've given us. And Father, I pray you would help us to take advantage of that freedom. To exercise the freedoms we have to worship, to speak your truth, and to serve you even as we live in this blessed country. 
Now, Father, watch over us as we continue in this time of worship, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The second thing that we like to do on Memorial Day, I've been doing it for decades in each church that I've pastored, and now that I've been here for uh, almost 13 years, I believe this is probably the 12th year that we have hosted in our church on Memorial Day a representative of the Gideons International. I've had people ask me, why do you do this on Memorial Day? One of the greatest avenues that the Gideons have for their ministry is the placement of Memorial Bibles. And so it just seems to me to be a good, natural fit. I'm a firm believer in this book, and if you've been here long, you understand that. This book tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We have to be a part of getting the Word of God into the hands of people. That's what the Gideons are doing, and they do it far better than we can by ourselves. So it's a great opportunity for us to partner with the Gideons to get this ministry done. This morning, we have with us uh, Brother Jerry Snook. Jerry's been here with us, I don't know how many years. I, I think they draw straws or something, and he rigs the straws. But he has been with us for a number of years and always does an excellent job. And he, he shares with us what they've been doing in the past year. And so I'm going to ask Jerry, if he would, just come and take these few moments and let us know what God has been doing through the Gideon ministry and how we might be able to partner with you in the days to come. I've got a confession. I've got a confession to make. Want to get it out of the way early? I stole this Bible. <laughs> and even an atheist knows it's wrong to steal. Well, those are Carrie Christie's words. They're not really mine. I'm just quoting her. She was 14 when she stole that Bible. Carrie's mother was an artist, and she did a lot of traveling. And so she was around in a lot of hotel rooms. But one thing about Carrie's mother, she was a very loving individual. She was always hosting a sick person or a homeless person at an evening meal. So when, but she was also an atheist, this whole family was. So when they were on the road, one time, uh, they all went out to eat, and Carrie just didn't feel like going with them and said, I'll just stay here in the room. At 14 years old, you don't just sit around the room doing a whole lot of nothing. She found this red book, and she started reading it. By the time her mom got back, she was hooked. So the next morning, she put it in her suitcase and took it home. And at nights, under the covers with a flashlight, for the next four years, she read from that book. Then came college, and no matter how hard she tried, she could not sneak that Bible out of the house. So she went off to college, and as God would have it, she ran into a believing classmate, lived in the dorm right across from her, and she explained the gospel of that red book, and Carrie accepted Jesus. Well, that Gideon, that Gideon Place Bible that Carrie stole was placed by a born-again Christian business or professional man, uh, and he was serving, just serving to help as part of the Giddings International. And since 1899, our mission has been to get the gospel into the world. Today, we are organized in 201 countries. Uh, and uh, these countries are ter countries, territories, and possessions to get all 201.
And we print scriptures in 107 languages. So men, if you'd like to find out more how you could join with us and hand out God's word, see me after the service back at the back door. Well, Believer Southern Baptist Church also supports the Gideon Card Bible Program, as Pastor said. Our wives, the auxiliary, give scriptures to medical doctors and to nurses and to other personnel in medical offices. And Gideon's and auxiliary go together to nursing homes to distribute to the medical staff and the residents. And sometimes our wives are invited along with us to go to a school or a college distribution. What we're seeing is that many of the students are more willing to accept a copy of God's word from our wives than they are of us. But that means more God's copies, more copies get out. We are members of churches in our own communities. And each year we like to come and give you a stewardship report of what's happened in the last year. We work in partnership with believers like you around the world. And students will line up for a copy of God's word. The need for scriptures is large, larger than the number of script, scriptures usually available. So some of the kids that line up will not get a copy, but yet they'll stand in line hoping to get that one and willing to wait. And those that receive a copy of God's word, just smiles remembered forever. This was seen last September right here in Wichita at Allison Middle School when we handed out over 200 scriptures, filled 200 empty hands. And this year, by God's grace, we have placed over 75 million scriptures. As of April 30th, our Gideon year ends this coming Thursday on the 31st. And in 1908 is when we started handing out scriptures, and since that time, with the blessings of God, we have been able to place 2,260,000,000 scriptures around the world. We praise God for that. And the Gideon theme is from Isaiah. The promise of Isaiah 55:11 reads, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. It prospered Carrie Christie. All of her family accept, have accepted Jesus except for her brother, and he's now attending church. Well, the Gideons make distributions locally. Part of each donation we receive comes back to fund scriptures to go into the local area. Our we call it our Jerusalem, which is really, we name as named Wichita. But many times the number of copies we hand out are limited by the number we have on hand. One of those places is Wichita State University. We have Gideons from all over Kansas come in to help us distribute and over 2,000 scriptures are handed out each year. Well, last September, Gideon, three Gideons, one from Toronto, Kansas, one from Newton, Kansas, and one from here in Wichita stood at this bus stop and filled over 500 hands with a copy of God's scripture. And it's a joy to see those college students stop when they've received that copy and open it up and actually start to use it. Every once in a while they'll ask us questions if we will answer them when we have the, as we have time. Uh, 2 Peter 3.9 
states that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And through that word of God is that way to, one way to do that. But in over 80 of our countries, they are trying to live on $1,000 per year per person. They can barely afford food and room, let alone trying to buy a copy of God's word. The only way they're going to get one is if, if someone gives them a copy. And this is where you can help. You can help by praying. Our biggest need. Last October, a Metro Blitz was held in Tucson, Arizona. There are six Pima Community College campuses in the Tucson area. And the Tucson Gideons have been praying for years that the downtown campus would open their doors so they could make a distribution on that campus. Well, look, what a special about, what's noted about that campus? If you remember back in 2011, the young man that shot Gabrielle Giffords came from that campus. Many people that we talked to said it had been dark for years. But on Tuesday, October the 31st of 2017, Six Gideons were allowed to go to that campus, stand in a free speech zone, and they handed out over 600 scriptures and filling empty hands. God opened that door after years of prayer, so never give up on prayer. Prayer works. And yes, you can help by donating. Today, you can give cash, check, or credit card. Every scripture we distribute and every salvation report we hear as a result of some generosity of someone just like you. New Testaments cost $1.25 each, and they, you could get a box of 125 of these and send them anywhere in the world for 100, 100 Testaments for $125. The Bibles that we place in hotels, and that's what we all time, a lot of times call the Memorial Bible, cost $5, and it will be touched by 2,300 people in six years that it lives in the hotel room. And oh, oh, by the way, you've got a bulletin insert, and it's got a quick response form on it. And you can use your smartphone to go to our website. And on our website, you can send an e-card. This afternoon, you could go home and send Pastor Oles a card right from that website. You can give on that website. You can also become a friend of Gideon's. And if you'd like to know about either any of those, see me after the church. I've got a brochure on Friends of Gideon's. Every year... 120 million youth turn 11 years old. That's the age we like to have a copy of God's word placed in their hand. Your donation today could help make that happen. But we ask you to support this church first, but, uh, and then if you make a check, make it out to the Gideons, or use a credit card form that's on the brochure, uh, on your uh, Gideon uh, the bulletin insert. Remember, every dollar you contribute will be used to purchase, ship, and place those scriptures. None of it goes to overhead. All goes to scriptures. And if you did not come prepared or this is not a good time, uh, you can take that envelope that's right here on the bulletin insert and tear it off, put it in the refrigerator, and use it when the Holy Spirit talks to you about it at a later time. Pastor Oles, thank you. Congregation, thank you for your attention. We are partners working to reach the lost while there is still light.
God bless. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. I want us to just pause for a moment and, and pray if we might and ask God to bless his word wherever it is, whoever has it in their hand, and to use it to change a life. Our God hears and he does. Let's pray together. Father, we come into your presence thanking you and praising you for who you are. Well, we don't understand all the workings of your way, but we know you do work. And Father, we know that there's power in your word, that your Holy Spirit takes the word, applies it to hearts and lives, makes it come alive. Father, I pray right now that across this globe where the word of God is being opened and read, where it's being shared, that you would make it come alive in the hearts of those who are hearers. Father, convict of sin. Convince them of the Savior and draw them to yourself that there might be great rejoicing in heaven over those souls that are called into your kingdom. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm always amazed at some of the conversations I get to have with folks. Particularly with young ministers, oftentimes. I had a young pastor ask me just a couple of years ago. He said, do you mean to tell me that every time you stand up to preach, you open the Bible and preach out of it? I bit my tongue, and I said, mm-hmm. I want you to understand something this morning. My opinions really don't mean very much. And my thoughts are the thoughts of, of any man. But when we open this book, we begin to get a glimpse into the mind and the heart of God. And folks, if we're not doing that, and if I'm not asking you to do that or leading you to do that with me, then I'm not doing what God has called me to do. I know we live in an age, I know we live in a time where it seems like anything that is old is to be discarded. Anything that is old is to be seen as antiquated, outdated, unworthy of our attention, our time, or our investigation. But the Word of God is timeless. The truth it contains is adequate to every age, every event, every century, and all people. But sometimes we forget that. We get caught up trying to, to live in our little world and saying, well, yeah, but things are changing quickly and, and the world is changing and the way people think and the way they perceive things is changing. All of that's true. But that does not change the Word of God. I found myself looking at Jeremiah chapter 6, and if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to look there with me. And yes, I have preached out of this passage before, for those of you who have it written in the margin of your Bible. But Jeremiah chapter 6, if you'll read the entire chapter, which we're not going to do together this morning in spite of the need, but because of our time restraints, 
If you'll read the entire chapter, you will find that it is a description of Israel that could very easily be brought into the 21st century, and you could say this is a description of the people that we are and the nation in which we live. But it reaches its culmination in verse 16. When God spoke to his people through his prophet. And I want us to look at that one verse and just give it some thought for a few moments. I've enjoyed the music. I appreciate Brother Jerry being here. And I'm so excited that I get the next hour and a half of your time. And since they laugh, I assume that means no chance. So I'm going to ask you for 15 minutes of your time. Jeremiah chapter 6. Find verse 16. If you found that, if you can, Will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together from His inspired Word this morning. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Hear the word of God. Father, I pray this morning you bless the reading of your word. As we spend these next few moments together, I ask you, Father, simply to speak to our hearts. Show us your way. Challenge us. Convict us. Call us to walk in it. Father, be glorified in each life in this room today. I would pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We don't need a new message, folks. The gospel that we have, the gospel that Jesus Christ delivered, the gospel that has come from God to man is more than sufficient. It's the same word that we have today that the apostles took, and as they preached it, they turned the world upside down. It's the same word that tells us about the unchanging God and tells us that our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday and today and forever. We don't need a new message. We don't need a new word. What we need is simply to rediscover the old word, embrace it, and live it. The problem we've been told over and over again, and it is true, is not that we don't know the Word of God. It's that we don't live what we know. Wanting something new is not anything new. That's the reason that Israel was struggling. That's the reason that God spoke to His people and told them to find His way, to go back and discover that ancient path, and then to walk in it. I would challenge you, just focus in on verse 16. There's so much in that one verse. There's more than I could unpack in 15 minutes or in the next hour in 15 minutes. So I'm not even going to try. But I love this statement. You will find rest for your souls. As I read those words, I find an echo from the gospel. I find an echo from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ who invited people to come to him. He said, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
He goes on, he explains to them how he'll exchange burdens with us and we'll find rest for our souls. The very words that the prophet Jeremiah had spoken when instructed by God. How did Jesus know that? Other than the fact that he was God. How did he know that? Because he had been instructed in the ancient paths of his people. I talk about ancient paths and people say, you know, we're not really into ancient stuff. We're more into modern. Okay. Well, let me just tell you what the ancient paths of God's way involves, at least to my understanding. And certainly it's not an exhaustive list and we could go on and on with it and make it a lot lengthier than what it is. But let me just walk you through if I can very quickly. First, I would tell you this, the ancient paths acknowledge God. Listen, there are a lot of folks I know today who are saying, you know, I I don't believe in this whole God thing. I'm not a a fan of all of this. That's not anything new either. You may think you've bought into something new and exciting in the 21st century, but the reality is that the psalmist said in Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the reality is that people denying the existence of God goes way back before the time of Christ. And God has a word for those people. We call them atheists. God calls them fools. Our belief in or our denial of God happens in the heart, but it doesn't change the reality. Our hearts are wicked until they're touched by God. A lot of people say, well, you know, I look around, I don't see any proof, I don't see any evidence of God. I'm telling you, if that's the case, you're blind, my friend. The psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 8, he said, when I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The reality is if we just look around, we see the evidence of God. You say, well, no, I just see nature. My friend, if all you see is nature, you're missing the grandeur of what it really is. It didn't just happen. Someone put it all in place. Someone makes it all work together so that it doesn't blow itself apart. It's the hand of God. The ancient path acknowledges there is a God and we're not Him. But the ancient paths also accept sacred scripture as God's word. Oh, listen, I've had a lot of people try to tear this book down to me. It can't be God's Word. It was written by over 40 different men. It was written across centuries. God certainly wouldn't work like that. He'd put it all together and drop it in our laps. Listen, friends, we can't take the revelation of God when we get it bit by bit by bit. If He dropped it all in our laps, our minds would explode. I want you to understand the claims of this book for us. Not my claims. Not man's claims, but the claims this book. Say, so, well, men wrote these words. Yes, they did, as they were inspired by God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read all Scripture. All Scripture. That means everything in this book from beginning to end. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means He has inspired it. He has put His life into it. It is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. I still just think it's the opinions of men. Okay. But even God addressed that in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said the prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I don't understand all of inspiration and how it works. All I just know is my God is so awesome. 
that he can take men who weren't really much different than any of us. You look at the life of Peter. You look at the life of John. You look at Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. You look at Nahum and Habakkuk. Other than the fact they have names you can't probably spell, they're not much different than you and I. But God's Spirit moved into them and gave them words and brought them along. And the reason he did it was God wanted us to have his word as a guidebook. One of the things that I've heard repeatedly over the last several years, it's become a very common talking point among the talking heads on the news, is the shifting, changing, evolving moral compass. Moral compasses only change when people don't know where true north is. A compass is true unless something goes haywire. And basically, here's the reality. I've got a compass on my phone. I, you know what? I just learned something the other day. Coolest thing, if you go to the compass on your phone and swipe to the, to the left, you've got a level. It is so handy to have a level in your pocket. Don't know where that came from. Obviously, it was not inspired. <laughs> Just like that level knows what level is, a compass knows where north is. Compass doesn't change. We change. God gave us a moral compass. The reason the moral compass of a nation or a people or a world changes is because the people reject the true north of the compass. And they want to go in their own direction and in their own way. The problem with that is when you find yourself in the storms of life, when you find yourself in the darkness of the night, when you find yourself and the clouds have covered everything over and you can't see the sunshine and you can't see the stars, you have nothing to navigate by. But this moral compass will always set you the right direction. You see, the ancient path understands this is God's Word. If you accept there is a God, if you accept that this is his word, then you understand that there are some amazing truths in this. But one of the most amazing truths and the one truth that none of us can escape is this one. You see, the ancient paths recognize that man is a sinner. Now, before anybody takes offense, I want you to get something with me, all right? I'm not talking about you particularly. I'm talking about us generally. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We all are sinners. Now, I realize we try to deny that truth as well. We've come up with all, of, all, all different kinds of ways to say the truth without saying the truth. We've tried to figure out how to say things that are hurtful without being hurtful. And today, because I'm the person I am and I don't care anything at all about political correctness, I'm just going to give you a few illustrations. We don't want to talk about homosexuality. We want to talk about folks being gay. We don't want to talk about adultery. We want to talk about people having affairs. We don't even want to acknowledge that we sin. We just want to say, well, I've made some mistakes. No. Can I just tell you something? God's Word, the moral compass that tells us what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable and what is not, that which is godly and that which is satanic, confirms for us some very simple truths. 
In Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. We're not doing it God's way. We're doing it our way. Well, what is our way? Well, Romans chapter 3 says, For all who sin and fall short of the glory of God. We don't measure up to his holy standard. Oh, and by the way, in case you're wondering, I just want you to know what the wages of sin is. It's death. But before you get hung up there and stop, you need to be sure you read the rest of, the, of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, the ancient paths also agree that all must be born again. This is God's gift to every man. And I have people all the time tell me, well, Pastor, you know, I, I don't believe the way you do, but, but I want you to understand, I'm religious. Okay. If you're, if you're good with that, okay. But I want you to know that hell will be filled with religious people. Well, that's kind of judgmental. Absolutely. God is a judge. But he is a righteous and holy judge. And he has not called us to be religious. He has called us into a relationship with himself. He has called us to come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this morning, when I talk about being born again, some people call it regeneration. There is a huge difference between religion and regeneration. In John chapter 3, there's a record of a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus one night. He had all kinds of questions. He was so confused. He was incredibly religious, well-trained, well-taught, a leader of the Jews. He was considered one of the elite of the Jewish faith. But he knew there was something missing. And he came to Jesus hungering for more. And Jesus steered him toward being born again, regeneration. Jesus told him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then he told him a little bit later, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying you have to be born again. It's not about your religion, it's about your relationship. And I want to tell you something, friends, it would be better, it would be better to have never been born than to go through life, hear the truth, and die without Christ and the new birth that he gives that's as simple as I can make it. What's the ancient path? The acknowledgement of God. The acceptance of his word. Recognition that we're sinners. And that all of us need a savior. Well, God only saves some. No. Not true. Not true. And I realize that's popular. I know that's being said a lot. And I know a lot of people have bought into that. But I want to tell you something. It's already been stated from this pulpit this morning. It's not his desire that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. If you read that third chapter of John, the story of Nicodemus, here's what you're going to read. For God so loved the world. You're going to read that he did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, it is God's desire to save. His spirit 
calls, convicts, draws. His word reveals to us the truth and challenges us to come to him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And so he does. But God gave us free will. And in our free will, we either say, yes, I'm a sinner and I want that. I need that. I have to have that. Or in our free will, we say, I'm okay on my own. The difference between this answer and this answer is heaven and hell. Today, he offers the free gift of eternal life. He calls us to repent of our sin. What does that mean? That means we acknowledge that we're sinners and we turn from our sin and turn to the Savior. It means that we cry out to Him for forgiveness because we come to understand we can't fix what our problem is. Only He can. And we surrender our heart and life to Him and say, Do with me, do in me, do through me, do what you will with me. And we allow Him to use us for whatever purpose, in whatever way. That's what it means to be born again. It means you surrender the right to run your own life and you give the controls to the creator who made you. It's simple. But it's not easy. It means you have to acknowledge your sin. That means you have to give way to your pride. Turn it loose. Acknowledge his truth. Receive his gift. And let him take control. I did it. Many of you have done it. But it may be that you're here this morning you've never done that. I want you to know that today God loves you. Has a plan for your life. He's waiting for you. He's calling to you. What would you choose? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of commitment. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Word of God, the voice of the Spirit. It may be that today the Spirit of God is calling you, drawing you. You know that there's something more, something you need, something that's missing. Today, today you can call on Him. Today you can surrender to Him. Today you can become a child of God. Would you do it? Perhaps you came into this place and you're dealing with some other burden. You're trying to figure out what ministry you're supposed to be engaged in. You're trying to figure out how you're supposed to be connected to the body of Christ. You're trying to figure out what it is you're supposed to be doing with your life. Would you call out to him and ask him? He gives answers. He lays the direction before us. But he invites us to walk in it. Would you do it? My friend, I don't know what God may be speaking to your heart. But whatever it is, I pray that you'll hear his voice. Honor him with your obedience. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Too often, Father, we hear your word. We sense your call. We understand where you're leading us. And just like the people in Jeremiah 6, we say we will not walk in it. I'm going to do it my way. I'm, I'm going to go where I want. I'm going to live my life my way. And it's not going to hurt anybody. 
Father, it's separating us from you. I pray today in these moments that the truth of your word would come to bear upon our hearts as a heavy weight. That your Holy Spirit would convict, challenge, change us. And that today we would surrender fully, each one of us. And we would find your way, your ancient path, and we would walk in it. Father, whatever it is you desire to do, whatever it is you need to do, to bring us into confirmation with you and conform us to the very being of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you do it and be glorified in the doing. Have your way in our lives, Father, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.